Hello everybody, welcome back to Chirping with ABA Owls. Um, this is just a beginning bit that Carter and I like to start with, is to say that these are just our thoughts and experiences. We're not claiming to know everything, and we're only speaking from our experience. So a small disclaimer there to start with. And then in terms of discussing, do you have anything to discuss from the previous podcast, Carla? Yeah, you know I do. Um, so there was just one thing that I wanted to mention, because when we were talking about... Oh, hi everyone, sorry. When we just went straight into business. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I, I didn't say hi either. It doesn't matter. Um, like we, we were talking about being a BCBA and a teacher, and we mentioned we know someone who's both, and we said, oh, and he's a man. We don't mean to say that men are better at this job than women. There's just less frequent, like there's less men in our field that we've worked with than women. So there, there's a lot of women, and our comment was just about that, the the seldom occurrence of having a man in the field that's both a teacher and a BCBA. It, by no means we think men can do this job better than, than women. Oh, absolutely, so. yeah. So <laughs> I think I said that, but he is a he is a wonderful soul too, so he deserves He's a mention. He's such a nice nice lovely man exactly and before we get started we'd also just like to say a big thank you to everyone who attended our online workshop um, we hope that you really found it helpful and of course enjoyable um, we have some new online workshops so please check the website for more details they last for an hour and a half and will cost £25 per person we also supply all the learning resources including practical exercises um, and it will be available online. So you can join us from anywhere in the world. Just please email us for more details and registration at aba.owls.uk at gmail.com. Thank you. So for today, as the title says, it's going to be ABA Programs Designing and Implementing. And we chose this topic as is a continuation of our ABA program segment. We felt it would be really important to explain how a program is structured and how certain targets and procedures are chosen and run. This will be the penultimate episode of this series, not the podcast, just the, the segment about ABA programs. And then we'll move on to other topics in June. So please feel free to communicate any topics you'd be interested in. You can email us, as Lauren just said a moment ago, at aba.owls.uk at gmail.com. And you can contact us through our website, www.abaowls.com, on Instagram at aba underscore owls, or on our Facebook at aba owls. And now, take it away! Lots of aba owls there. Sorry, Carla, I was a bit of a <laughs> Do you remember the name? ABA Owls. ABA Owls, do you remember the name? (laughs) Make sure you remember it. (laughs) Yeah, it was a bit bit intense. Okay, so just to describe that, you know, the layout of um, our um, episode will be slightly different today because we have a few topics we want to talk about. And as per Carla and our style, we're going to go into our WH questions within each topic. So the layout, we're talking about the layout of a program. So we're going to talk about assessment, selecting targets, choosing teaching methods, monitoring, and then setting mastery criteria. So within those, we're going to talk about what, who, when, why, how, etc. So maybe some other ones in there. But just so that that's, so you guys get a grasp of what we're trying to achieve here. So it's off to me to start. I'm starting with assessment. Okay, so assessment's a hugely, hugely important part of the program, okay? And it's it base, it's sort of centered around skills and where deficits are on skills, behaviors, um, preferred stimuli, or favorite things the person might like, and sort of past history. Okay, so we'll start with what is an assessment? It's when you use a variety of methods to ascertain the learner's skills, okay? Their deficits, behavior changes, their favorite items, and their past history, as I just mentioned. We often use interviews with parents or carers or anyone who knows the learner best. We have observational data, and we test the hypothesis or hypotheses. Do you say that, Carla? Hypotheses? I don't know. Uh, Depends. I think... Hypotheses is the plural. Yeah, so if there if they might be more than one, are we not sure there might be more than one? Yeah. Um, I think with the, e, with the E is singular, with the I is plural, I yeah. think. Yeah, okay, well, it's not my day today, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is, it's not always possible to be able to test that um, with the same accuracy in the natural environment as it would be in a clinic because it would be more structured and less interference from other variables. 
Um, in terms of who does the assessment, okay, so Carl and I would say a BCBA, a board certified behavior analyst, or the consultant or supervisor. You can have a listen to our previous episodes on consultants and supervisors. Um, a tutor could also conduct assessments or do probes. Um, if the if the consultant or supervisor was happy with the training level of the tutor, you know, as long as they've had enough training and know how to actually run those assessments. It's quite tricky because you sometimes, if you don't do it right, you can't get the accurate information. Um, so in terms of when and where the assessment is done, um, we'd obviously want to do it in a variety of environments because we want to see that it's accurate because sometimes the environment sort of aids you to answer certain things okay so we want to do it in school or home or the community wherever is appropriate really um and then in terms of why why is the assessment done to understand why behaviors are happening okay what is the reason for the behavior occurring and what is reinforcing those behaviors okay to observe where the gaps are in knowledge so we need to know what the learner doesn't know so we can select appropriate targets and prevent you know, wasting their time or the teacher's time or the tutor's time. We want to make sure that we're finding where the gaps are so we can able to fill in those gaps. We also need to assess the learner's favorite things or preferred stimuli. Okay, this will help the behavior analyst or whoever's conducting it to reinforce behaviors more effectively as they'll be more likely to use items that they're reinforcing. So if we're using things that they like, they're more likely to do certain things. Now to get to the big one. How is the assessment done? Okay, as I mentioned before, <laughs> we do, this sounds like it's really easy, but it's a mammoth task of epic proportions. Um, we interview parents, caregivers, teachers, and the learner himself or herself, if it's possible, you know, on their behavior, their preferences, their current skills. You know, we observe and record data on the learner's behavior in the natural environment, as mentioned earlier, and a variety of uh, environments. In clinical settings, it's obviously possible to control the environment more carefully and verify the exact reason for the behavior. You can do this in the natural environment, but it might be a little bit harder to test because there's less control. And I gave an example here where, you know, I was doing a bunch of assessments with students in my class um, on conversational type assessments, so whether they were able to answer questions. Um, with accurate answers, and because some of my children don't didn't speak very loudly, I shouldn't say children, learners, students, um, I used a quiet space. So I went to the library or a classroom that wasn't being used or a room that wasn't being used because I wanted to hear the answers clearly and I wanted to make sure that they weren't being distracted in the environment so I could have more control over the environment to get more accurate assessment. Um, we would also use an assessment manual, hey Carla, you know, because... Yeah. We'd want to know the type of manual, you know, would vary according to the type of learner. So it's just, it would, we would decipher that before. So we'd not find the right assessment. And this might also depend on the person's age. Um, and you can also have a listen to our episode about choosing an assessment. I think it's episode 10 and 11 that has quite a lot of detail yeah. about those kinds of things. I think that's it, Carla. Did you want to add anything there? No, you did perfectly. So thanks. I'm happy, <laughs> and you, I hope you're happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So should I move on to selecting targets? Fantastic. Let's do it. Right. So, guys, we're just gonna go through today. We're all business. We're like, let's just go through today. <laughs> yeah, let's get it done. <laughs> we're tired. Um. So, what are targets and goals? Again. Everyone knows what a target is, I think, and what a goal is. And the assessments, the purpose of the assessments is to understand where the deficit is. And just as schools have age-based goals, in ABA, we select goals and targets individualized and tailored to every learner. So, for example, an end goal could be read phonic sounds. And a target within that would be reads at least 10 words with a phonic sound, ah. So we then get more specific. The goal is the, let's say, the milestone. If you're thinking about the VB map, it's the big one. And then the targets will be little bits inside that to achieve that goal. And who selects the targets? Well, usually the consultant, the supervisor, and the carer. Uh, we believe it should be a group effort. The parents, guardians, or teachers, they will have their views on what the learner should learn. And the consultant and the supervisor has the data to support what is known by the learner. And together, 
they can devise a program. And if possible, like Lauren mentioned just early, just now, it is really important to include a learner in these decisions. And sometimes they're not able to vocalize their wants and needs. And it is our job as ABA professionals to give them a voice as much as we can. But as with any child, if they're children, of course, there's a limit to what they can decide. When we are were young, well, even as adults, it, it was hard to know what we needed to learn because we weren't aware of all that is out in the world and, you know, how one decision can affect, you know, our future. And even though it is important to consult learners regarding their own learning, when they are young, the main decision should rest with the adults. Uh, because if, you know, if a child decides, okay, I want to be a, I want to join the circus, and if there's nothing wrong with that, okay, all right, you want to join the circus, but you don't know how to read, um, so I think maybe let's teach you how to read first before we teach you how to join the circus, things, I'm being very extreme, but things like that, but let me give you like a more neurotypical example. So imagine your child is choosing their GCSE subjects, and people from outside of the UK, GCSEs are exams teenagers in the UK do when they are at the end of year 10, and these exams allow them to enter university. And let's say that you want your child to choose history, but they prefer geography. If they do not plan on following a career in history, is there a point in having them spend two years studying for a subject they do not care for? Or will they use it in the future? I mean, I have a friend whose mom wanted her to go into sciences for her GCSEs, and she signed herself up for art subjects, and she's now an artist with clients in different parts of the world. Um, she's a very good artist, in my opinion. So, at some point, the person which the decisions are concerned about should have a, a say in, their, in the decision-making, I think. And... When and where should the assessments be done? So after the assessments are done, so regards to when and where, um, so after the assessments are done, the targets and the set and the learning settings can be then chosen. And the reason why we need specific targets is that ABA is all about tailored targets, a program that suits individuals' needs. So depending on where the ABA program is going to be run, we would adjust our targets to it. So for example, if the ABA program is going to be run in school, uh, and if it's going to be run by experienced ABA tutor, the type of circuits I set or the way I write them will be very different than if it's going to be taught in a school setting by a teacher that has to look after a whole class. Or as well, if you if the targets are going to be run at home, are they going to be run by an experienced person or a not experienced person like a parent? So. That's why we need specific targets that are measurable, because it just the difference of the person implementing them and the difference of the setting will vary a lot how individual the targets will have to be. So and how I, and we write how we write programs as well, and how to select targets. So again, this like Lauren said, the same reason of how to run assessment, how to select targets. It's we can talk for hours on this, we and we do. We literally can talk for hours. We have in the past um, and in the present, and we'll do so in the future. But let's just do a summary of it. So we, we analyze the results from the assessments. We discuss it with the parents, carers, and the learner, if possible, and teachers. What areas need attention? And then we develop a program that is functional and achievable. And this doesn't mean we put limitations on the learner. But we do need to be mindful of what is possible to do depending on whom is teaching the child, their experience, training, etc. So I mentioned just now that the environment of home and school or, you know, if it's one-to-one -one, or if it's in the group or if it's a teacher or if it's a tutor. So, for example, let's do an example of how of a target of a tutor versus a parent. Um... In the past, if I I've had a program where the child was every time the father came home, he would have behavior you'd hit. So, I if it were a tutor, I could have just said to the tutor, he's having interruptions. So just give him reinforcement, uh, promised reinforcement, or just reinforce him and tell him the dad's coming. 
So I would advise maybe it would have been more jargony and set a an ABA target. But because these were for the it was for the parents and the parents were not as you know knowledgeable about ABA terminology and procedures, I just had a uh, where they had to record data. I wrote uh, father to text mom uh, half an hour before coming home. Mom tells the son daddy's going to be home in half an hour. Plus gives them um, a like a a preferred toy. So the mom got used to giving him warning half an hour before the dad came, uh, just to get him used to to understand that dad is coming. There's a change that's gonna happen, but here's like not a reward, a reinforcement. Here's something nice for you to handle that. And within a few weeks, he stopped hitting his dad. Well, it wasn't even weeks. I think it was like two weeks or something. So that's not even a long time. So the way I would write a target will be very differently for a parent than I write for a tutor. Because maybe for a tutor, if I say, receptively identify blah, the tutor gets it. Whereas for a parent, I might have to try to use simpler language and to sometimes even have simple steps written so they understand exactly what actions they have to do. Uh, Lauren, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. I feel like I talked a lot but no that was great thank you Carla um I think that was really helpful in order to understand how to select targets or how we select targets um and then you know what goes in hand in hand with selecting targets is choosing the teaching procedures that are going to implement you know these are the things that we use around the targets so we have our targets now we're going to choose how we're going to teach them so what procedures teaching procedures does ABA use so there are a million, mm. really. We're not going to... A million and a half. You know, dwell on every <laughs> single method. But here's some, oh. you know, to so you guys can fill your head with these with these words. So we have reinforcement. So there's motivation, the difference between preferred stimuli and reinforces. We have shaping, which is gradually reinforcing approximations of behavior. We have chaining, so our response chain. And we have antecedent interventions, such as functional communication. You know, we could explain those for hours, but these are just some of the things that we do do. And if you want to find out more of those, have a look at those um, in that um, book that Carla mentioned. He was that book by Carla who's got great um, exp explanations of terminology. Oh, the Albert Kearney book. Yes. Um, sorry, now we can't. ABA. <laughs> oh, my day. So sorry, guys. Listen to the Hood Chronicles episode yes. one. There we go. And also, yeah, they has he has a terminology, but... We also go into this in our workshop. So exactly. Yeah, so come, come. Come spend time with us. Yes, we're very good at explaining stuff, especially in the workshops. Okay, so yeah. how how do procedures get chosen? Okay, so this will depend on a few variables. Who chooses them and who runs them? Well, the BCBA or the consultant or supervisor will have the final say in which procedures are used. You know, due to their experience and knowledge, they would be able to determine which procedures are more appropriate as each of them have criteria that deem them appropriate for certain situations. So, for example, if the learner is trying to say the name of an item, we would encourage it by reinforcing the behavior of saying the item name. Okay. If you don't reinforce the speaking behavior of saying the item's name, the learner might stop speaking as they'll be confused as to whether they're correct or not. Um, so we just got to think about those kind of variables and be very sensitive to that. The person running the targets is also a crucial element. So are they experienced or are they not? Do they need training and support? Do they have other responsibilities, as Carla mentioned earlier? Are they a teacher in a classroom with many students? These are the kinds of things we need to assess and be aware of so that we can choose the right procedure and how they're going to be run so as to make sure that they run appropriately. In terms of when and where teaching procedures will be taught is... They're always chosen prior to the targets being run and, you know, the the people who are implementing the program will need to know how to use those procedures. So we know how to, now we've chosen the targets and so now we're going to put them together. The environment in which the learner will occur is also important as the different variables need to be considered. So is it a noisy environment? Are there lots of people around? What what reinforcement can the learner get from the environment? So these are the kinds of things we need to be thinking about all the time. 
you know, and sometimes without even realizing, everyone is using ABA in their lives. I mean, these are the not so nice things like reprimands, telling people off for misbehaving, asking what did you do, you know, um, in terms of um, manding, etc. But, you know, people are using all these procedures that we just have names for them and ways to break them down um, and teach them. So these are the kinds of things that are very commonplace in an ABA environment. Why should the learner... Why should people in the learner's life use the same procedures? We get asked this quite a lot, Carla, don't we? Yeah. Okay. And we say it's important. We It's important to note that when we say use the same procedures, we are meaning to say the learner has consistency in their life to help them distinguish between appropriate and inappropriate behaviors in different environments and situations. We do not mean that if you are teaching a child something like a dog, that you should always use the same example to teach different kinds of dogs we would we you know we need to make sure that you know dogs all look different but they're collectively known as dogs so we need to be exposing that child to variability is to expand their knowledge and their ability to generalize not just teach them one thing is one thing so the consistency is more in how you teach and the you know the resources is needs to be varied but you need to be seen keep the same teaching procedures okay so I have an example. I previously chosen a method of teaching and realized the student wasn't making much progress as I anticipated. So I changed the teaching method. The child was learning to read phonetic sounds at the table quite in quite an um, intensive environment. So it was quite intensive teaching at the table because I was concerned about retaining the knowledge of these phonetic sounds. And what I found was when we took out that sort of intensity and we did it in the natural environment, so when we were walking around school, we would see the sounds, we would ask her, and when we were in her home, she, her mom would do it, and then we started doing it, you know, incidentally when we were reading, we got to see a lot more out of her, because I think she preferred that way around to learning, and a lot of progress, so it was more naturalistic type of teaching, so yeah, so yeah. she just... It was the wrong procedure, um, but, you know, sometimes you don't know it's wrong until you've tried it, and then you try other ones. So it's all a bit of, you know, moving things around and reassessing. I've had the opposite. I've had a pupil where we're doing all in natural as much as we could, but he wasn't learning as much. So the mom said, look, in the past, he's on the table in his work. So we did more table learning, and then we generalized to the environment, and he was learning much faster yeah. like that. Because I think it, it depends on the person. Like Absolutely. When they say, isn't it? When they say, oh, ABL all looks weird because at the table well first of all all of the kids in school spend all their time sitting at the tables so so please stop with the hypocrisy and secondly it it depends on the learner like yes some people learn better at the table some people learn better in the natural environment and it's all about assessing what works best for the person absolutely isn't it yeah so so yeah i think it's just something that it's just something we keep our eye on, which actually leads us into your next topic, Carla. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Cheers. So it's great. Um, monitoring. So we it is really important to monitor the progress. So what is monitoring? In a nutshell, it means to keep an eye on. Um, ABA is based on data, on evidence. And ABA professionals do monitor progress by analyzing data collected on the learner's responses over time. And why do we say over time? Because behavior is always changing. It is not a static occurrence. Therefore, a learner's response should be recorded over time so we can analyze the change and act accordingly. I'll give you, uh, well, I'll give you a personal example. Um, at school, I, when I was younger, I noticed I didn't say young. I said younger, okay? I remember learning about decimal placement. And everyone in class, including myself, were struggling. And that weekend, my dad spent hours, well, for me, it felt like hours in my little child brain. He spent hours practicing decimal placement with me. Uh, he taught me an easier way to do my work as well for this topic. And we practiced a lot. So that's changed. So he did a lot of ABA here without realizing it. And on Monday, I was on the only child who did all of the work correctly. So my dad didn't wait until I was already too frustrated or confused to understand the topic. He acted as soon as possible because he was paying attention to my progress in school. And other children maybe didn't have a parent who understood math like he did or that wasn't able to keep an eye on their progress for some reason. So they 
only at the end of the school term would the parents be informed that, oh, your child's struggling with this area. But by then, how much time or frustration would have would have arised and it's it maybe it's harder then to intervene when when it's become already aversive because we know maths is aversive for a lot of people and it comes from these oh from these amen moments where, isn't it it's from when you're little sure. mm. and you don't get the basics and if mm. no one interfe- interferes and acts then it accumulates like a snowball and then you just when you're an adult it's just the end of the world to do simple yep. maths yeah. So, and this was a successful example without him collecting data. Can you imagine if my dad was collecting data and could empirically show the change? So, and typically in a program, the tutor or the person implementing the targets records the data and the consultant or supervisor analyzes it. The BCBA, aka consultant, also decides what type of data is collected, whether it's a yes or no, a frequency of independent versus prompted responses, if it's duration you're looking at, etc. And in an ideal world, we would have data from every single environment and every single response. However, it is not practical or even possible to give your undivided attention to an individual's behavior every moment of the day, especially not in natural environments. In clinics, this is, you know, it's much more achievable due to staffing, controlled environments, recording equipment, etc. But running an ABA program integrated into a learner's life means that we can't record every single response. So we have to be discerning. From the assessments, we determine which behaviors have priority and we focus on those. So, and how do we monitor? Again, mammoth. I love love that you said mammoth. Thank you. I love that word. I, love I know it's animals. great. I don't know where it came Mama. from. My brain was impressing me. Because maybe because they're so big. We're yeah. talking about animals at work. Yeah. <laughs> oh my days. But it's a great word. Um, as I've been mentioning, through data. This is how we monitor. We select the method of recording and we consider the recorder's experience. So the person who's recording the data, we need to consider how experienced they are in data recording and we develop the simplest and easiest way of recording the data that is accurate. The more complicated the recording method is, the less likely it will be done accurately. And a very important question I think that ABA practitioners ask and should ask themselves is what is the information I need? This is what I often ask myself when developing data sheets. What data am I looking for? What do I need to know? Uh, it is it is also important to ask the people who are recording the data what they think of the method, because if they can't use it effectively, then the data might be misleading. So I'll give you before I talk about a bit about graphing. I'll just give you a quick, quick example. I uh, I've worked with this boy, and we. We were recording his on on task behavior, so we were we were recording it based on the amount of tokens he received. So every minute on task, he'd receive a token. But we were just recording the the amount of tokens, and it and the master criteria was depending on the how many like the, how many tokens he got. But I. <sighs> I had to change the mastery criteria and I had to change the rec- the type of data collection because he was actually spending a lot of on time on task, but because he wasn't getting that fine, there was five tokens, that final green token, he wasn't mastering things. But when I looked at the data, he was spending a lot of time on task. He just didn't get the terminal one. And it's not right because no one's always 100% on task. So I had to change the way I recorded his on-task behavior instead of amount of tokens to duration based on how many tokens. So if one token's one minute, he's one minute on task. Just because it's not fair to him that even though he's on task, because I had selected a method that wasn't as accurate as it should be, you couldn't tell he was progressing. And when I changed it and I said, oh, actually, duration makes more sense, for this occasion, for the master card and everything, then we could see his progress, and he was actually progressing really well on task. So it's just that doesn't mean that the method I used 
is wrong, but in this occasion it didn't suit the learner and the progress that we wanted to see. And once a recording method is sorted, we typically graph it. Graph it. Graph it. Graph it. Oh, I can't speak English today. Um, I'm not saying you should graph <coughs> sorry, everything. Some types of data don't require graphing. For example, yes or no probes, or if the learner did or did not perform the behavior the first try. I am a big fan of Excel graphs. Lauren and I used to have to graph so much stuff. I remember doing at least 10 graphs a day. And that is a modest estimate. By hand, people, by hand. This is my opinion. I think it's a waste of time to graph data that nobody will look at. What are you doing? You know, what, what is it for? Why are you doing that? I, and also wasting the paper and the trees and everything. Just, just go. Ex I, I, sorry. I know it's not for everyone, but I would rather do Excel or sometimes do like a table with all the dates. Like why? It would used to frustrate me so much. So many graphs. I know. Remember, it's insane. So many graphs. Yeah, it feels it really feels is. like. Exactly. Yeah, it was just a bit odd, wasn't it? It's like we need to all this data, yeah. you know. But who's who is reviewing this amount of data? Because yeah. if it's taking this long to take it and to graph it, who's having time to look at it then? When you when you're one of eight, you know. Yeah, exactly. And I remember <laughs> oh, when I because I did um, a test run with my when I was a class leader with my class where instead of they only graphed the the priority ones. And everything else was like a table. So, for example, you'd have for a pupil uh, reads blah, adds blah, and they just had to write how many targets they had mastered in that goal. So, mm. if one week they had mastered one target, you, you write one. If the following week they mastered another one, they would write two, because then you could see the the improvement. Mm. Um, and I even proposed that to like the management team. And of course, they were like, oh, but in ABA, it's more reinforcing to do a graph and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sorry, I think I just think that's being so stuck in the past. And it's just so... It's What do you mean? Like, oh, it's more reinforcing to see a graph. It's a waste of time. And there's also like this whole, whole organisations now that their whole purpose is to help you design data sheets like that's their job is to streamline data on online platforms that's literally what they have the the the, the aba people are now doing that for themselves there's a whole community of people doing this now so that just really? says it yeah in itself there's like that like the bcbas are like right how can we make data easier for people so it's like Tech, using technology, but to to simplify data, it's amazing. So there's a whole movement. Good. It. Yeah. So it's definitely because you know I impressive. get that sometimes not everyone maybe has access to a computer, and I get it. Like it's completely. But at the same time, then I think it would be good to find solutions mm. for for. I mean, anyways, it's it's a whole thing. You know, I can rant. Yeah, me too. About this for a long yeah. for a long time. Exactly. Carry on. Sorry. Thanks. Um, so I'm just going to mention a little bit about mastery criteria. Sounds like a big thing. It doesn't really mean a big thing. It, you know, what is it? It's basically, you know, how are we going to define whether the student is able to consistently and accurately do the skill we're teaching them to do? Um, this way we know it's mastered or they've learned how to do it. Okay, so we need to come up with a, a set of criteria to so that they we can you know, through data, evidence that this child is able to do something consistently consistently and accurately. So, for example, we want the student to be able to consistently answer correctly for three days in a row so we can see that there's consistency and they're accurate in three days in a row. And they may have to be tested by different people or in different settings, you know, whether they're able to identify uh, something in a picture, something in real life, something, you know, within the school, without the school. So there'll be different areas of mastery criteria, um, but it's really important to define so that everybody who's working with this learner will be able to see, oh, look, they're able to do this now confidently, consistently and accurately. OK, so who who develops our mastery criteria? The BCBA or the consultant, okay, they would decide on the mastery criteria for the skill we are teaching. And sometimes this needs to be adjusted as the learner progresses. So sometimes you get a learner who, you know, initially needs a higher, you know, 
a shorter mastery criteria, so less days. But sometimes you get to a point where the student's actually showing a lot of, you're like, oh, they maybe need less or more, or maybe we need to adjust some things. I mean, I remember. Oh, definitely. You know, I had a student who was, I mean, we couldn't keep up with the amount of things he was learning. It was insane. So <laughs> I started lessening the mastery criteria because once we taught him once, he would be able to show, show that the next day. And consistently, we did like a retention thing. We checked it every now and again. And he was able to confidently remember. Yeah. So we just were like, okay, well, let's do let's do just do two days. Sometimes we do a test in the morning and test in the afternoon. And if we retained the information, we'd be like, cool, it's mastered. He was such a bright kid. But when he first started, the mastery criteria wasn't at that level. So that's why we need to be constantly assessing things and constantly reviewing, um, looking at the data, looking at these things. And it, it helps you be a better behavior detective because you're looking at all of these variables and you are helping this young person and the team be as successful and as productive as they can be. Why do we need yeah, and it? Sorry, go for it, Carla. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, and we usually use a rule of three because it's a good tiebreaker. Mm -hmm. But yeah, but it can be changed. Like we mentioned, behavior changes over time. And I've had a people like that as well, where he's just going through stuff. So I had to make bigger goal end goals mm. so, and, and to decrease the mastery criteria because he's just flying through his exactly. targets. And it's such a beautiful thing to witness because you can see, you're like, oh, okay, so you actually really understand how to learn. Because sometimes I think... The learners we work with don't know how to learn or maybe we don't know how to teach very well or they're getting used to the procedures. So we're not able to see it. And then all of a sudden, it's like the penny just drops or it just clicks and they just know, get it. I know, it's so cool. It's a very beautiful thing to be part of. So I'm so grateful that we yeah. both had that experience and I hope we continue to have those. You know, yeah. why do we need a mastery criteria? Okay, and I think I mentioned this just, just before, is that we need to know whether our teaching is helping the learner progress, okay? And if we're not, we need to reassess. And we need to know that everybody is aware of what mass, what it means for this child to learn the skill, as I said, confidently, consistently, and accurately. So, yeah, it's just there for everybody. Because if we have one person understanding, another person who's teaching it who doesn't understand what mastered skills look like or what the criteria might be for mastering skills, then we're going to have a child who's falling behind. And that's what we want. We want a nice, clean, you know, put-together um, way of teaching and how we're going we're gonna to make sure that this child learns that and how we're going to assess whether they're learning it. So that just helps us, all of us, be on the same page. So how? How do we come up with mastery criteria? I think I've answered this a little bit before um, in the, what I've said previously, but it depends on what the, you know, it's based on what the skill is. How many times do we need to teach it? How easily is it to set up and resource? Some things you can't run multiple times a day because it might just be brushing teeth or washing hands, or, or washing hands you can run multiple times a day. But, you know, some of these things may seem a bit odd to set up again, so it depends on the skill. Um, but, yeah, we just need to be mindful of, you know, these various variables and what would be the best way to teach the young person. So, yeah, mastery criteria is actually really nice um, and I think is a vital part of, you know, ascertaining how are we going to assess whether this child is learning these things? Did you want to add anything, Carla? No, thank cool. you. Great, cool. Thanks. I just, I do want to go back to the graphing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> because, like, because when uh, it always bugged me when people were like, they told me that we couldn't change the way we graphed because it's reinforcing to see the graphs, and oh, it's who? Just, it is more reinforcing to spend 15 minutes in data and leave early than to spend 45 minutes doing graphs. Yeah, and then making mistakes and having to redo graphs. Oh my God. I, I don't care who gets annoyed at me. I don't care if people we used to work with are listening and they're like, oh, how, how can they say this on the podcast? I don't care. I don't care. It's more reinforcing to leave early than to spend nearly an hour doing graphs. Absolutely. So... <laughs> Sorry. Especially no, when your job thinking. is hectic already. You know, your job is hectic. Oh, my God, yeah. Like, it's a pretty much, 
and like an octopus kind of arms need that many arms to be able to do this successfully and think yeah and be able to, to get it down on paper and then have to spend your whole afternoon writing down all this stuff it's a lot of brain capacity to be able to do that all very accurately so yeah I, and I then you still be. needed to do re- until you needed to do resources yeah and it's just and training oh, and catch-ups and, and tra- debriefings Jesus. yeah so I mean how I mean how insane how we Sorry, survived I'm I don't know Good God, isn't it? May the heavens support us. You know? Okay, so I'm just I'm just gonna move on. Sorry, guys, I just have outbursts outburst once in a while. Um, so for the ethics bit, and you by now you've heard this mention ethics in every single episode, and that's because it is important. The BACB Ethical and Compliance Code had its initial creation based on the American Psychological Association's Code of Ethics. So it doesn't, you know, based on something that apparently people like more than us. <laughs> Sorry, again, I can't get sidetracked. I'm too inflamed. Um, the Ethics Code should be abided by every BCBA. And personally, I think it's very important to make, to make, it, um, to make it aware to new clients and and making them aware of their ex- of its existence, and both sides should be aware of what's expected ethically from them. Uh, we use this code as a guide in our practice and when selecting procedures. For instance, when having to apply procedures such as punishment, oh no, the P word, we should already have tried other strategies, and we do need to collect data that justifies the use of punishment. And even when deciding on a punishment procedure, you, we should always aim to create an intervention that is effective, but that is also the le- least intrusive and restrictive options. And where, how can you read the ethics code? Simply go to the website www.bacb.com and select ethics on the top white bar. And I remember having this with Lauren when I was in her class many years ago. And I was... I think I was fairly new to ABA. I wasn't in MBA in not even a year. And there were my pupil, he used to pull, even though I love him, he used to pull my hair a lot. And then the BCB at the time wanted, was talking about doing a punishment procedure. And I talked to Lauren about it. And she was saying, well, but you need to collect more data and we need to try other procedures before before we should. And I remember our class leader was saying, no, no, we should put a punishment procedure and I think Lauren blocked it with good reason, uh, because when we started teach, because the hair grabbing was more about him gaining access to tangibles, to food especially. So when we started reinforcing manding, and even if he pulled hair, we we had him request and reinforce them, and the hair pull did decrease quite a lot, because not only. Was he given? Was he still given the opportunity to to get what he wanted, even though he pulled hair? Um, he then, what was the other thing we did? We then didn't reinforce. We, he was reinforced for asking instead of the hair pull. So it exactly, decreased. it's like yeah, it's a replacement behavior because it serves the yeah, same for exactly. him. It serves the same function, you know. Yeah, I was just trying to remember what we did, and I, and I think no you did well. Idea. Yeah, I know. And you know what, like, I know that I was unpopular for my um, statement, but I, you know, as someone who was, it was actually my class. So it was, I was, was you know, the, this was, yeah. he was my student. And I mean, I trusted you. I was yeah. the one getting hair pulled I know, and I'm I trusted sorry. you. So, and, um, well, you were right. <laughs> but he, you know, he, yeah, I just, I just felt like, and I knew about it, but also I felt it was wrong. Um, and I knew that it was for other reasons. I knew it wasn't just, uh, you know, it didn't have a reason. And I didn't feel that punishment was right. And I th- also thought, if we try this and then it still isn't decreasing, then of course we have to put in something else because it's a terrible behavior. It hurts your neck. It's it's It makes you, you know, people don't really, it's not a very, it makes you unpopular as a student to work with, which is not a nice thing to say. But you can imagine if you're getting your hair pulled 150, 200 times a day, uh-huh. you know, it's, it's not great I for you. Remember, people People at some point got used to seeing me like he would grab and I would just hold his hand very yeah. secure so he wouldn't pull my head and like kick the football because he would use it to escape stuff. And people mm-hmm. just got used to seeing me around school with his hand on my hair because he knew like hair pulling stopped giving him 
escape or mm. access to stuff. Yeah. And it did decrease. Like he, I still remember I had the last day of school and six oh. months after, like he was just so like he would do follow instructions. He barely tried to pull hair anymore. Mm. And remember, we figured out that it was also to do with his sinus or, oh, or yeah, allergies or yeah. something. So it was like when he wanted a head massage. Oh, bless him! I miss yeah. him. He's a wonderful, One of wonderful, wonderful young man. And um, yeah. yeah, you know, I don't think about him as often as I do. But when we talk about him, then it comes back, and I'm like, oh, I remember him so much. Anyway, oh, he must be a, he's an adult now. Yeah, so he's massive. Last time I saw yeah, him, yeah, he was tall. Massive. I remember. I was, yeah, I was just like, no, no, no. he's still perfect down. though. <laughs> he's got the most perfect skin and the most perfect face and the most beautiful eyes. He's just a wonderful young young person. Um, oh, just so you guys know, Lauren and I prefer a dark skin because we think it's perfect. Yeah, he's dark skin just looks so perfect, yeah. doesn't it? Like. I feel us with our white skin and it's just like full of spots. I know. I'm covered in freckles. It's not exactly the most attractive thing to look at. But yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's important. Yeah. Ethics is so important. And I know we talk about it a lot, but it is really, really, really important that people understand it. And also, yeah. if you are confused about what we talk about in terms of punishment, there is a episode where we talk about myths and misconceptions of ABA. And I think we go into punishment in that episode. So if you want, if you don't like the word we're using or you're confused about that word, please go and have a listen to that because punishment, we describe it a little bit more in there. And actually ABA isn't very pro-punishment. Um, so yeah, if you're feeling a little bit... Even maybe we'll do another episode on punishment. We're not sure. Mm. Yeah. Even if we if if the mood strikes, exactly. Sometimes I just feel like I wanna take real life examples. Yeah. And say this is punishment. Of course, like this we mentioned earlier, reprimands, like shouting at children. Oh yeah. Is a punishment. Oh god, I hate. I hate when people do that. Yeah, I, so I recently annoyed. started working with some new students here in South Africa, and it's a common theme. They all say to me, "Please don't shout at me. I don't really like to be shouted at." <gasps> And Please. I said, I would I would never shout. I'm not a shouter. I would never shout at you, you know. And I said something the other day that the one student didn't like. And he, he walked out the room. And I said, what happened there? And he said to me, I don't like when you say that. And I said, well, thank you so much for telling me. You know, if you don't tell me, I don't know. So it was quite a beautiful moment between yeah. all of us because communication is starting to come more fluently. And also telling people that you don't like things. Because if we don't know, how do we help people, you know? I'm, I mean, I've had adult neurotypical people shout at me for no reason like oh yeah like last week that come up to me like <laughs> and and start shouting at me and I was just like I you know when you just I wasn't I was like what is happening yeah because you're so taken I, aback I felt I felt like there was just a bomb just got thrown because I there was no precursor all of a sudden yeah. the shouting started and I was like I was just looking at this person like Okay, I'll just let her finish. Yeah. <laughs> I was just, okay. Yeah. I don't know what's happening, but let me listen. <laughs> I've had that before, and I'm like, are you finished? Because I didn't know this was coming, so I haven't prepared myself for this. So. <laughs> I know. Oh, My dear. Days. So. All right, should we end? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so should I, should I finish off? Yeah, do it, okay. and I'll do mine after. I also wanted to ask you, Carla, do you think that I sound English? I don't, I can't tell. I think you sound Lauren. No, so so everybody here in South Africa teases me and they ask me, like, where are you from? And I'm like, from South Africa. And they're like, oh, because you've got this lilt. And I'm like, oh. And every, I've maybe asked well, everybody. Yeah. Well, after 12 years living in the UK, yeah. maybe some of the way you say stuff, but you still sound South African, at least to me. I know. You just don't exactly. sound the pure one it's like yeah it's like my english my english doesn't sound like i'm portuguese but yeah people don't can't it's hard to detect where i'm from because of it's sort of watered oh, down puppy. oh you're sorry yeah i'm in a different no, location fine, today it. so there's there's all kinds <laughs> of action happening around me oh that's cool <laughs> okay so are my in thoughts are um it can be quite complicated but in order for it to work there needs to be this much detail as individualization in terms of ABA is paramount without detail. This, you know, the detail is because the reason we have so much detail is the reason we're successful. Okay. We can't be successful without the level of detail we have. So there, and there's no one size fits all in ABA. So you, therefore we just have to tailor it to the individual. And this is also, I think the most, the most important part of what we do and also our downfall because 
people think that we can just come up with plans. Like, well, just tell us what to do. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. We need to know all the detail. If we don't know all the detail, we're not going to be as successful. And I would say the more you know and and the more you practice, the better equipped you are to help people achieve and progress. That's me for today. So, yeah. Thank you. My turn. Um, so, from everything we've said, we really wish we could give you a formula to make your life easier. And we try to, to give you like a bit of structure to understand programs. But ABA isn't like maths, and I do love maths. Uh, it's actually more like baking and cooking, which Lauren will know very intimate because she knows the best. she's the baker <laughs> she loves the baking honestly just to clarify I didn't mean I the best it's the best thing for me <laughs> uh, you you know we you have these guidelines in ABA that you have worked with in the past like oven temperature and mixing if you're doing the anal- analogy for baking and cooking but based on the individual recipe you change the ingredients And that's what we do with ABA. There are different procedures that will work in teaching the same targets. And knowledge is power. The more research we read and the more clients we have, the better equipped we become in creating and running procedures. And this goes for consultants, for supervisors, tutors, and even parents. Just read, read, read. I think it's the best advice I can give you. Read, listen, like contact people. I think it's mostly read, read, read. Yeah, inform yourself. Yeah. So those are my end thoughts. I just wanted to suggest a book that I quite, that I keep suggesting because I really like it, which is called First Course in Applied Behavior Analysis by Paul Chance. It's a great read to understand how ABA programs work. It's very practical as well, has exercises. So I do advise that book. I recommend it wholeheartedly. Lovely. And guys, please do contact us if you'd like to ask questions or you have um, topics you'd like us to talk about. It's aba.owls.uk at gmail.com. And of course, you can visit our website, which is abaowls.com. And please check out our website for more information on our online workshops. Anyone can join. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. Um, We really, really would like you guys to join us. So thank you, please, and come. (laughs) Yes, our next podcast will be on the 3rd of May. And feel free to email us or message us on Instagram at ABA underscore owls. And like Lauren said, feedback or if anything you want to talk about, if you have a particular topic, just let us know. Big thank you to everyone listening. We have, we had someone in Romania listening. Oh, and where else? There was something else new. Oh, wow. No, no, no. I did see Mexico. Now. Is Mexico not new? Ireland. Oh. Someone, yeah, Mexico, Ireland. Cool. And I was like, ooh, this is exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so rate, like, and subscribe us. Uh, Chirping with ABLs on iTunes, Instagram, Facebook. We're on Podbean as well. Um, and yeah, I think that's it. Thank you for listening. Bye. Oh, before you stop the, the recording, because yes. can you tell that on the ethics that I, the first bit I'm it was it must have been like one thirty a.m. when I was writing it. Because listen, <laughs> both sides should be aware of what is expected ethically from both sides. Oh my days! I don't. Also, I this, wrote my end thoughts, not really have ready, not really, oh, not have read yours. So I also wrote better equipped, didn't I? <laughs> I can't remember. Sorry. See, it's all. I think it's just, it's just, just uh, yeah, yes, you did. Oh, very quick. Glory. You know what? It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, it's because we both agree, but I was just, <laughs> I was reading my bit on ethics. It's like, Carla, why? It's just why is like, this happening? Why, why, why? This is insomnia, you know, people. This is what happens to you when yeah. all you spend your life studying ABA. You get insomnia. <laughs>